0: what's up everybody welcome back to another episode of nursing uncharted the podcast that delves into different specialties within our profession to help you find your niche within nursing i'm maggie reichard pronouns she her i'm a medical icu nurse and your host for this podcast thank you so much for listening today if you're a new listener thank you for checking us out today if you're an old listener welcome back we're glad to have you this episode is sponsored by amn passport today amen passport is a travel nursing app that helps you find, book, and manage assignments all from your phone, all in one place. You receive instant job match notifications when you apply through the app, so if you're interested in travel nursing or looking for your next assignment, be sure to check it out. So today, we are covering a topic that I've been super excited to um, talk about, I've been interested in. As bedside nurses, we don't think about this avenue of nursing a lot, and yet the subject is kind of you know, ever applying, ever present in our workdays. It affects so much of what we do, and that is nursing informatics. I'm sitting down with Michelle Hamlin today. She is a doctoral prepared nurse with years of clinical experience and informatics experience. She's very passionate about changing the relationship between nurse clinicians and technology and translating clinicians' needs um, to hospital executives and IT. Just pulling everybody together to implement innovative technology solutions to problems within healthcare systems. So, Michelle, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Maggie. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm really looking forward to hearing more about this. You know, I uh, I don't know if every BSN curriculum has a nursing informatics um, course, but mine did, and you know, I feel like it probably scratched the surface of what nursing informatics was and. I remember a lot of, like, telehealth, and I'm sure that is, you know, probably one aspect of it, but I feel like it didn't really, you know, it didn't, it didn't, it missed the mark, I think, on how, like, nursing informatics is really implemented in in patient hospital systems.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So I think a lot of our educational programs really just help prepare our nurses to leverage technologies when they get to that bedside. Mm-hmm. Um, so it gives you kind of that introductory um, feel of how do we leverage the technology in delivering care um, versus a little bit different than the a- actual application and, and going into that role of informatics.
0: Mm, okay. Yeah. that I mean, that makes sense. I feel like... <sighs> I wish that there was, I mean, maybe the, the, uh, classes changed, you know, quite a bit. It's been 10 years, but I, you know, when I was in it, I feel like, like, I remember 3d printing and telehealth and like little bits, but I really wish there was a piece of like, you know, what you're responsible for documenting or like, you know, things I feel like that we could apply a little bit better into the, our actual workday.
1: Yeah, you know, I think we have a lot of opportunities to help improve our curriculums and our educational platforms and getting our nurses to be a little bit more prepared. Um, I think nowadays we're seeing a lot more programs um, becoming more involved with how do we apply the EHR or how do we start leveraging the EHR. Um, I don't Mm. think they still cover the principles of what it means to do quality documentation and um, how do we leverage, again, that technology to help improve patient care and and how do we apply those technologies to improve patient care. I think we're still just really trying to cover the fundamentals.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that's fair. That makes sense. I do want to, I want to kind of start off this episode just to like cover the very grounds, like, you know, what is informatics and, you know, why, why should our new nurses and, you know, why, sh- why does it matter so much within our, within our work days?
1: Yeah. So similar to um, what nursing students cover within their curriculums, within their educational, you know, we try to get nurses to have a little bit of experience in med surge, OB, ED, critical care. Mm -hmm. It is so important that we have nurses in all of these different areas, Um, but it doesn't just stop at the bedside, right? We need nurses involved in all of the aspects of care delivery and, and, and how we take care of patients and in in the health system as a whole right so we have mm-hmm. nurses that are really passionate about going on to becoming CRNAs or nurse practitioners or going into leadership um, that we, we, we need the voice of a nurse in all of those different aspects. And, and that includes how do we leverage technology? And that's really where informatics comes into play. Right. And so um, having nurses that have this focus, this specialty that um, can help bring that voice of the nurse, when we're starting to look at the technologies that we're leveraging, um, you know, mm-hmm. the, the, they say that informatics nurses are really that liaison, that translator between clinical practice and technology, right? So we help to mm-hmm. interpret the clinical needs when we're looking at trying to design the technology um, that we utilize in our day-to-day careers our, that our bedside nurses use in, in their everyday um their careers the biggest one happens to be our ehrs right so in Mm -hmm. 2015 we just seen an explosion around implementing ehr so a lot of us got into um, informatics to help design workflows and how to use ehrs how do we design the documentation tools that fits that clinical Mm -hmm. need that nurses needs Um, but now that Mm -hmm. a lot of ehrs have been implemented now we're looking at how do we expand the informatics role to include all of the different technologies, telehealth, um, you know, communication devices, um, voice to dictation mm. type tools, AI, um, chat GPT, generative AI, you know, all of these technologies that are coming into, um, you know, at, our everyday today day lives? Um, how do we yeah. take those technologies and capitalize on them in the healthcare arena? And so that's really what mm-hmm. informatics is about, is really trying to bring that voice um, of nursing into the way that we leverage these tools.
0: Do you feel like there are, uh, most of the time, it uh, they it is nurses that are filling these roles, or do you feel like they are, you know, uh, hospital administrators or like IT people that are trying to, you know, like how old is this nurse liaison role? You know, is it is it something that it's like a a developing, you know, progressing, um, like job career in nursing? Yeah,
1: that's that's actually a great question. I I, I believe. <laughs> and you're gonna, hopefully nobody corrects me after this, or if they do, they can certainly (laughs) email me. But nursing informatics has been around since the 70s. Um, This role truly has been around since the 70s. The ANA adopted it as an actual specialty around the 90s. Um, So the role has been Mm. around for quite some time. Again, really around the utilization and adoption of EMRs or EHRs. Um, How do we leverage nurses more into this IT type role? Um, Yeah. And so, we're seeing a lot more demand for informatics now that the technology is just in a boom right we just saw this uptake in, in how we're leveraging technology again in that every day to day lives and that translates into our careers too like our our nurses are expecting That health systems can keep up with how we're leveraging the technologies. You know, most nurses Mm -hmm. are working with mobile devices, Um, all of them are working with computers. You know, there's just a plethora of different um, tools at our disposal, but we have to be smart about how we're utilizing them. Right. We, we right. you know, just because it, it's an innovation or a great idea um, doesn't mean that we're necessarily capable of applying those to actual practice. Um, we have to mm-hmm. really be mindful as to what we're expecting our nurses to do. Just because I can document on a mobile device and just because, it, you know, a laptop makes sense to be mobile doesn't mean that a nurse can juggle all of these different tools around while they're delivering care. So we have to be very thoughtful right. in how we're applying these technologies.
0: Yeah, I've definitely worked in facilities where I feel like I'm like weighed down. I have like a you know like pager visera. I have like this thing around my neck to you know locator. light. Locator stethoscope. Yeah. I have locator. I have you know it's yeah. I have a phone. It's it's like i have just covered in <laughs> yeah devices right, to exactly. do my job.
1: And more is not always better, right? In those instances, yeah. you know, more tools right. in our tool belt isn't necessarily better. They have to be they have to be useful tools right just because yeah. i have a hammer doesn't mean i can screw in a nail in the wall right I, you know they have to they have to have some sort of application in the way that we're delivering care
0: so in your role do you feel like you you are kind of a gatekeeper between you know what is is like you know effective use of technology or are you like okay we have this ability in the you know EHR to do this you know, like this one thing is being advertised to us as shiny and new, but like, you know, we don't actually need that. Is that in the role of nursing informaticist?
1: Yeah, definitely in the role. So yeah, I would say that we evaluate the new technologies to see whether or not they're applicable in, in the way that we need them. Is it really serving a need or is this a shiny new object? Right? Is this really going to serve this purpose, or do we already have tools available to us that can serve that purpose? So a little bit of a gatekeeper, um, from you know vendors coming into the organizations trying to pitch us products, um, because again, health IT is. It's a booming industry. Um, a lot of people are getting on board with health IT and, and how can we develop out um, the next cool app that healthcare can adopt and implement. Uh, so, you do have to put a little bit of a barrier there. Um, but I would also say that I am a facilitator in breaking down barriers for our bedside clinicians for, for being innovators. Um, they are so creative, our bedside clinicians, and they're living the life on a day-to-day basis that they are faced with a lot of challenges that prevent them from being efficient, um, being yeah. productive, that if they have ideas mm-hmm. in how to improve things, I want to help break down those barriers to figure out how to implement those changes. And so it, it kind of yeah. goes both ways.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm really. Glad to hear that. I'm sure that my facility does something like that as far as like getting, getting, you know, to the front line to figure out what is actually what we what we need. But there's so many times in my day where I'm just I feel like I'm treading through mud trying to do my job because of this, that and the other is breaking down. And it's so frustrating. And I feel like I could be so much more efficient in my job. But these things and then you don't have time to really like, you know, sit down and and think about these things at the end of the day. You just like want to go home. Mm -hmm. So it's hard to like track down exactly, you know, what those things are. So that's that's great that you do that.
1: Yeah, I would say it, you know, it. not everybody has to have that passion to try to bring forward ideas to improve the life at the bedside. You just need one. Right. You need one person in your unit that says, you know what, I'm your go to. I will. I'm really passionate about this and I'm going to sit on this council or this governance committee that can help bring forward your ideas so that, you know, the nurses that really don't don't have the time to invest that kind of energy into can still provide their input into um, into those types of decisions and, and changes.
0: Yeah. Do you. Off the top of your head, do you have any like examples of when, you know, nurses were like, hey, this, this, you know, process sucks the way that we do this. Like, can we can we fix this? That's that's my job every
1: day. (laughs) I I listen to complaints almost on a day day to day basis, which, you know, it's it's good and bad, um, you know, but again, I I would rather hear it from the nurses and, and having them provide their honest opinion. Because if they don't, then I can't make a change. Um, I need them to be honest. I need them to be open uh, because if it if it's not working for them, it's probably not working for others as well. And so how do we how do we improve upon um, the platforms that they're working in if, if they don't communicate the problem in the first place?
0: Yeah, right. Exactly. Are there old ways of thinking about nursing informatics versus new ways? Like how, I mean, we talked a little bit about, I mean, the fact that it's been around since the the seventies, the eighties and, you know, telehealth, but how do you feel like it has changed over time and where's the role now?
1: Yeah, I think the original thought with informatics is, is that we needed to be analyst. We needed to be You know techie nurses well i i I consider myself a techie nurses but but that we needed somehow to be um, we had to have a background in coding or program programming um, Mm. that we that it was really taking a nurse out of the bedside and putting them into an it department um, where that's all we do is just build and design systems and configure systems. And that's not really what a nurse informaticist does. Um, mm-hmm. we're, we're not analysts. Uh, we're highly educated professionals that we can serve a greater good being a liaison between the two rather than just being an IT analyst. Um, yeah. And so it's really trying to morph that model into a position where we are sitting in a in uh, governance structures that can help lead discussions and decisions about again what is the what tools are coming into play what innovations are coming down the turnpike how can we adopt those um, early on into our workflows uh, and really trying to drive decision making from that perspective rather than just sitting in an IT department waiting for somebody to tell me how to reconfigure the system,
0: yeah. Well, and the role seems more accessible, too, if you're, you know, just like if I, you know, thinking about going back to school, it's like, I don't know how to code, but like I know that I know my EMR, EHR, you know, system like the back of my hand, like I feel like I could be thinking of other nurses that are, you know, interested in in this role and like might want to pursue it. seems a lot more accessible because it's a nursing, you know, based role as opposed to like a technology role.
1: Right. It's really rooted in change management and change control. Um, It's really trying to understand Mm. what problem are you trying to solve, trying to gather all of the requirements? What population are we talking about? Are we talking about pediatrics versus adults? Like we can dive deeper Mm. really into asking thoughtful questions and trying to find the root of the problem so that any solution that we're creating really actually meets the problem. Um, and so Mm. it, it, it requires so much more than just building something, you know, it's planning and analyzing and understanding the workflow, then building, then testing, and then, and then training and education. It's really just overseeing that whole process. Um, and that's very different than somebody just telling me to build a flow sheet row.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, so one project you could be working on for a long time, a really, really. Yeah. For a long time. Okay. What things are you, you know, is, seems like really, you know, present in your job right now? Like what are you working on
1: now? Yeah. My, my biggest passion right now is trying to reduce documentation burdens. Um, and mm-hmm. it's really trying to div- Um, develop out strategies to reduce the documentation burdens that our bedside nurses are feeling. And so one of the big initiatives that I'm working on implementing is just charting by exception. And I know that seems really rudimentary. I mean, when I started nursing, I did charting by exception some, you know, 15 years ago, but there are still organizations that have never even initiated this or implemented this Um, and so the organization that I'm working at now, uh, I'm getting that rolled out and we're looking, we're looking at trying to get that implemented next month. So that's a, it's a, it's a big, it's a big change. Um, charting by exception is a culture change for, for nurses and really any reduction in documentation is a, is a, um, a culture change for nurses, because they have that mentality of, if I need to document everything, and, you know, if I didn't document sure. it, it wasn't done, this, this right. concept, yeah. um, that they think that, you know, everything that we did for our patient needs to go into an EHR when, you know, really what we need is more meaningful and quality documentation. Again, that concept of more is not always better, right? It's it's yeah. all about the quality, not quantity.
0: Yeah. I feel like I've heard older, seasoned nurses talk about when it was paper charting. They feel like they had more time to like spend with their patients, and now we just have so many things that we have are responsible for, you know, documenting full assessments, you know, fall skin assessments, fall scores, discharge stuff, admissions. You know, it's just eyes and os, and your education. It's just it's so much and then yeah you get lost in that you don't have the time to spend in somebody's room you know that quality time the reasons that you became a nurse you don't have time to do those things anymore because there's so much else you know expected of you
1: right yeah and if i had to choose between the nurse spending time documenting in in an ehr versus spending time with a patient i'd rather have them spending time with a patient Cause that's what improves yeah. patient outcomes. It's the time that is spent with the patient, not the time in front of a computer trying to document the things that you thought you were supposed to do.
0: Yeah. And you feel like a robot. I mean, when, when I'm, when somebody's, you know, I want to establish rapport, but I'm also just like staring at a screen, clicking through these things, you know, you're not that, that interaction isn't there. That communication isn't there. Like the trust can't be built there. Right. You know, it really ends up hindering our, our, you know, ability to to practice well
1: right yeah I mean like I said nurses they're highly they're highly trained professionals we're highly educated um we're so much more than just task oriented um yeah. there's so much more to a nurse than just checking a box saying I did something
0: right yeah yeah I think and we need to get back to that so hopefully technology can kind of loop around and get us back to that point <laughs>
1: Work, and that's what yeah. I'm working on
0: yeah yeah Is there, do you think in the culture shift of when nurses are afraid to chart by exception, is there a fear of litigation there when you aren't, when you aren't charting everything like, or, you know, I mean, charting by exception must protect you in that way. You know, that must be like a common misconception there.
1: Yeah. Um, again, you know, more is not always better. Right. Um, so there is the always that fear that nurses have this 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 concept that they that they have to document all of this in fear of litigation. Uh, in those instances, again, for this project that I'm working on for charting by exception, we have policies and procedures in place that really back the nurses up for being able to do this type of documentation. We have to outline that says, Mm -hmm. hey, this is, these are all of the normal limits, or these are all of the normals that um, we specify for each of these assessments, Um, that if the nurse documents WNL or WDL, depending on which way your organization goes, um, that means that this patient does abide by all of this criteria within within each of these assessments. So, you know, organizationally, from a policy and procedures perspective, that's how we support our nurses from litigation.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I feel like it's also, I mean, I think for the most part, I feel like I chart against exception. But there's also just once you get into a groove of doing it a certain way, then, you know, that's just how you do things. And it's like, I don't know why. I have to chart that the urine is clear and yellow. I, I, you know, know that it is, I don't know why I do that. I just like, I, I just do it, you know, but then I'm teaching other nurses to kind of do it the same way. And well, so. And,
1: and so in that example, what happens if I took over your patient and I just documented that it was clear and not yellow, what risks did I just put myself in By trying to force everybody to document all of the possible normals on this potential um patient's need. Mm -hmm. And so just because I didn't document that it was yellow, does that mean that the urine wasn't yellow? I mean, so when I look at the risks and the litigations, they're there for both ways, um, whether or not you're documenting all of the normals or not. Except for with charting by exception, we mitigate some of those risks because we as an organization are defining what those normals are for you.
0: Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. What are some other examples of, you know, inefficient burden processes, some of this like excess fat in in, you know, our EHRs that you've seen? Within our EHRs? Or I guess you know. So one thing that that I think about a lot is care plans. Oh yeah, I hate care plans. I because I don't understand them. I I like I think that it's a good guideline to for new nurses to kind of tell you like you know okay somebody's at risk for falls. These are all the things that you know you can do to prevent somebody you know with falls. But but nobody looks at them. No one looks at them no like and it takes up an entire note and it just makes me feel like nobody wants to look at nurse notes because they're just full of of you know <laughs> this excess stuff that nobody looks at but so like when i when i write a note i want it, it to be important and you know i i want it to be respected and it just i feel like it becomes this long drawn out thing of like you know somebody has like fall socks on their feet i just that care plans was one that I that I thought of as this like excess fat that I kind of I wish I think that it is an important thing to have. And I wish that it was structured a different way. But I don't know. I don't know how.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think what you're highlighting is any inefficiencies that we have in the system, right in any EHRs. Mm-hmm. And so what is truly the intent of a care plan And so if I'm just trying to regurgitate all of the things I did, I did in an assessment or I'm regurgitating physician orders, like what really then is really the intent of a care plan? And so having, having a strategy around how do we develop care plans that makes things a little bit more automated for our nurses. So if I actually documented Mm -hmm. that the patient was a fall risk, can it automatically generate a care plan, a fall risk care plan or something within there that indicates, okay, what sort of interventions are we doing specific to that patient's risk level rather than me having to go in and manually document that. Um, And then in some cases, you know, in in EHRs, it's a a very different tool that nurses are are used to working. And so you have a care Mm -hmm. plan here and then flow sheets over here that they're really not well integrated. And so how do you pull all of those pieces together so it's more... Um, within a nurse's workflow in how they're doing the work. So I would say care plans, patient education, documentation, just mm-hmm. in general, needs to be a little bit more automated and more efficient in how we're capturing that information. Yeah, And I would say in some in some cases, we need to reevaluate whether or not the documentation needs to exist at all. You know, we have, we have some things that we are creating documentation. Hourly rounding is a good example. Um, Why do we, why do we force nurses to do document hourly rounding? Right. Uh, What is the point? That was one of the initiatives that I did a couple months ago is, is that we took it out. Um, We completely Mm -hmm. eliminated that documentation um, because we have other ways that we can assess whether or not a nurse evaluated or rounded on this patient, uh, on an yeah. hourly basis that I don't need them to go into an EHR to click a box every one hour saying that they did this work.
0: Right. Right. I worked in a facility once that they had like, um, trackers, trackers or something, yeah. which I think was uh, controversial on its own. Right. But But it did show how often you were going into the rooms, you know. So it's like it's something that we just do because it's part of our job, you know, the fact that we have to continuously, you know, chart it every hour. It was a way to kind of trim that fat, which I appreciated. And sometimes it actually it came in handy because if a patient was like, they have nobody's been in here for three hours, you could like go back and actually say Mm -hmm. like, no, these people came in, you know, every However
1: long. Right. And but in, in those instances we're still leveraging the power of technology to be able to evaluate whether or not a nurse checked in or a nursing assistant checked in with that patient without actually causing documentation burdens to the nursing staff or the clinical staff. Yeah. Yeah. And and there's a lot of examples where we can we can do that same concept and philosophy, but we really need to start evaluating and looking, taking a hard line at our documentation and really understanding, is this documentation really necessary? is this actually Mm -hmm. improving patient outcomes or am I capturing it just to evaluate a performance metric on a nurse? Um, because that's not really what an EHR is for. It is not to evaluate performance metrics. Um, it is really used to contribute to patient outcomes and communicate to the whole care team about what is, what sort of care is being delivered to the patient.
0: Yeah. I think I remember one, one example that we had talked about, um, in our conversation before this was critical labs or critical results.
1: Yeah. Critical results that, yeah, we can talk, we can talk about critical results, right? So it, it, most, yeah. most organizations that I talk to, I ask them, what, um, what do you do for critical results? What does that process look like? And the response is, is, you know, critical result is identified by lab lab, calls up nursing, um, nursing receives that critical result. They have to document it in the system that they receive this critical result. They have to document what provider they talked to, um, what interventions were done. Um, But why do we do that to nurses when we can have those critical results automatically sent to the provider themselves um, or to the nurse or both um, and have them respond to it within a communication platform like a mobile device, some sort of app. Um, yeah. And use that metric to be able to evaluate whether or not the critical results was received by a provider. Why do we have nurses involved in that, in that process? Right. Um, yeah. And so, you know, a, a, a lot of, a lot of times I hear is the reason why nurses got involved in the first place is because they had no mechanism to audit. Right. We we're having nurses do this documentation for the purposes of being able to audit them.
0: Yeah. And that it doesn't, it doesn't that's not fair for the nurse. Right. Right. Is, is it really improving yeah.
1: care? The example that I gave um, and this is a true story. I worked in the ER um, and we had to follow this process of critical results. Um, and in the ER, you know, the ER physicians are right there. Right. Taking care of these patients. Um, got a critical result back the patient, I don't remember if it was potassium or hemoglobin something, A critical lab came back. Um, I went to go tell the doc and he's like, I already put the orders in. I said, that's great. Um, but I had to still go in there and document that I notified the doctor, even though he put in orders 10 minutes sooner than I even told him.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's a running joke where I work is that, you know, lab will, will call us way later than we've already seen the result notified. Yeah. And then also that probably poses a risk to the patient. If you think like, you know, it, like there's a potassium or something that already was corrected and, you know, you're getting like three different different pages from people at different times saying that this potassium is critically low. Like there's the opportunity for a physician to like re, you know, give a replacement for potassium, you know, it just, yeah. Yeah. You're like,
1: you keep taking, I'm trying to, I'm trying to, treat this patient and you keep calling me away from trying to take care of the patient.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: True, but Mm. I mean, let's think about the intent of the reasons why, you know, the Joint Commission put those in as a national patient safety goal is, it really is to make sure that we're intervening early on these patients um, based on their critical results. And that's the intent. The intent is to try to improve the timing in which we're intervening. But how does me having to do this documentation in the system help with that that particular goal, that uh, national patient safety guideline, um, if I'm having to do all of this extra work with documentation? The documentation doesn't prove that I intervened any sooner. It just proved that I called the doctor at a certain time. That's all that did. And so we need to be better at measuring actual patient outcomes rather than measuring performance um, mm. these process metrics, we got to get away from measuring process metrics and actually evaluating true patient outcomes.
0: And how do you, is that, that's something that's difficult to measure? I' I mean, in a sense, I'm sure.
1: Yeah. I would say that it's a lot more feasible nowadays than it probably was when joint commission came out with that national patient safety mm. goal. Um, especially with big data when we're talking about metadata um, and it's, yeah. you know, making sure that you have a, a structure in place to monitor these, this, these analytics, you know, an analytics team is very powerful in our, in our health systems. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's getting organizations to move towards more of that patient outcome metrics rather than again, focusing just purely on the process metrics.
0: Yeah. I'm just thinking, like, how much data goes into an EHR, and like trying to unfold all of that, you know, to come to a root of the problem. That just seems like a massive undertaking.
1: <laughs> well, I'm saying the generative AI is here. Um, they can process and yeah. synthesize big, big amounts of a big, uh, large amounts of data.
0: Yeah, yeah. What kind of role is? Yeah, what role is? Have you been seeing AI? Um, you know, take on in nursing informatics. <laughs> so,
1: uh, you know, I I think we're just beginning to see um, organizations starting mm-hmm. to figure out what to do with this, um, which is yeah. good because I you know I would always say that health organizations tend to be ten years behind technology. Um, I would say with mm-hmm. generative AI, uh, we're seeing health systems evaluate that a lot sooner than 10 years. Uh, so we're, we're mm-hmm. starting to look to see how we can incorporate that. There are some organizations that have drawn a hard line and said, absolutely not, we're not using it at all um, because mm-hmm. of the you know, data privacy risks and concerns. Um, but we do see some organizations being a little bit more open about how we can leverage such technologies because uh, the truth is mm-hmm. is our patients are going to be using it. Um, there's no way to get around it. So how can we make sure yeah. that we're better informed and use it to our advantage? Um, so a, yeah. in doing a little bit of preliminary research, I see a lot more generative AI being used actually in nursing schools. Um, nursing students are picking up on it a lot earlier than health systems are where um, for better or worse, it sounds like students are trying to use it to draft up reports and papers, maybe care plans. I I mean, we can use it to help (laughs) fix some of our care plans. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, But from a health system perspective, we, we have a lot of work to do to make sure that we can maintain um the privacy risks that are associated to it, um, and, and trying to put a little bit more structure around how to move forward with that. So I am not seeing a lot of organizations pick up pick it up right now. Um, but I would mm. I really want to make sure that nurses are at the forefront of this and that we're not laggers behind physicians. That we we should be mm. at the table trying to understand uh, how much it can help nursing. Um at the same time yeah. we're evaluating the ability for it to help physicians.
0: Mhm. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be really interesting to see what we what we can do with it, you know, in 10 years. I feel like it's kind of used you know, very superficially. I've seen, you know, in in aspects but, you know, yeah, it's it's amazing to think about what it's going to be used for. What can bedside nurses do to help create effective technology that works for them. And in, in you know just normal days, how do we get to people like you or you know nursing informaticists, people that are making change, you know if there's processes that are that are just dragging them down? What are some steps that we can take to kind of better our workplaces in that way?
1: So I would say that you first have to learn to see whether or not you have those types of roles at your organization. Um, I think that's the Mm. biggest step to take is what resources do you already have available to your organization? Maybe you already have a team. Um, A lot of Mm. academic, like large academic centers, large facilities typically have an informatics team. The smaller sites, smaller hospitals, standalone clinics probably don't have those types of resources afforded to them. Mm -hmm. So just figure out what what you have um, and get to know them figure out how do you um, request changes or how do you bring forward those ideas and if that process doesn't exist figure out how to stand one up Um, try to do a grassroots effort try to get a unit-based council going try to get something going Um, because truthfully you know i haven't Mm -hmm. i haven't touched a patient in over eight years Uh, i could not even tell you what it's like to work at the bedside um, I can't make informed decisions without talking to a bedside nurse. Uh, they they're so pivotal in trying to understand the struggles that they're going through that we need their voices involved. Um, you know a lot of organizations are going with a shared governance type approach um, yeah. that's not unique to just scope of practice and unit-based education plans. It It's true for informatics too that you need a unit-based council or some sort of governance structure to help bring that voice to the nurse um, Mm -hmm. in the way that these technologies are are influencing us and you know with the new generation coming in the gen zers there's going to be a high level of expectation of what we're utilizing at the bedside you know for our Mm -hmm. more seasoned nurses you know, mm-hmm. they adopt a little bit slower to the technology, which is, it's, it's yeah. okay. Um, but we're dealing with three different generations right now in our health systems. You know, we have our, our more seasoned nurses that are a little bit more laggard. I wouldn't say all of them. Mm-hmm. I, I know some great seasoned nurses that love technology as well, but, um, so mm-hmm. we we're trying to, trying to support all three generations of nurses. Um, yeah. And the Gen Zers that are coming in, they're they're going to be powerful in trying to make changes um, within our within our organization organizations.
0: Yeah, well, I feel like those older seasoned nurses they went through changing from paper to EHR. You know, you know I what? feel
1: like they are a great resource when you're dealing with downtime drills.
0: I'm sure they are. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what to do. Actually, I I heard I think my husband was talking about how. Our like the millennial generation is actually going to be very helpful when it comes to troubleshooting technology, more so than Gen Z, because we had to go through like, you know, like we learned how to code or just like learned how to troubleshoot things versus it's kind of like, you know, automated cars are going to go away at, you know, and now it's going to be or not automated car. But like, what am I trying to say? nobody knows how to drive a a stick shift (laughs) now yeah right and so but the people that you know went through that transition they have that kind of background knowledge and they may know a little bit better how cars work because they know how to do that versus you know me that doesn't know how to drive a a manual but in the same I think it might work with technology in the same way and that we have like had to grow up with the booming of technology and so I don't know, it'll be it'll be interesting how everybody fares with like, you know, new developments. Yeah, and
1: well and we had to be a little bit scrappy, right? If something was not working right, we had to try and fix it ourselves, you know, if you had a yeah um, if you had a computer that all of a sudden started slowing down and it wasn't running very fast, it was you trying to figure that out. Um, you were trying to fix it. Um, you didn't have the luxury of going to like a tech support, right. In some instances, they didn't even exist in your town. You had nowhere to go with some of your technology. So we were, I think we were a little bit scrappier, um, to try and solve our own problems, even with your car analogy, like, it was sometimes it was just cheaper trying to fix your own car and change your own oil. Uh, don't ask me to change oil. I don't know how to do that either. But <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> I don't know anything under the I don't know how to drive a stick. So <laughs> I give it to the mechanic and, they, and
1: software, not hardware. Them. No,
0: <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about you know the pathway to becoming a nurse informaticist for people that are interested in in this pathway. So what is what does that advanced education look like?
1: Yeah, so for me, um, the process that I ended up taking was as I got my master's in informatics. Um, I am board certified in informatics as well, although not technically necessary. Um, some organizations will. Um, take you and train you in as an as an informaticist. Again, there's organizations that still think that informaticists are just IT analysts. um, And so they'll Mm. hire you right into an IT department thinking that because of your clinical background, sure, you should be able to just come and build and we can train you how to build. Um, But Mm. again, that's not really what the true intent of an informaticist is. And so I would say if you're interested in getting into informatics, really consider getting your master's in informatics, uh, Mm because it really does provide you with a framework and structure. Uh, There are some health systems that that is a minimum requirement that you do have a master's degree in informatics. Uh, So it'll, it'll vary a little bit depending on where you want to go. Um, and, and where you want to land. If you want to stay within a health system, chances are you probably are going to need an informatics degree, um, your master's okay. in informatics. Um, but there are certainly nurses that go out into the private industry. They go into the tech world, right? So they're, they can work with private corporations, Um, that Mm -hmm. get into healthcare technologies where they thrive on nursing experience. They want your nursing experience and they're not hiring Mm. you to be an analyst. They're not hiring you to build their systems or to build their app or whatever tool that they, they have. They're hiring you to help you with that change management. How do we get nurses to adopt? How do we build this and integrate those into the workflow? Or in some instances, how do we expand upon the tools that they're creating? How do we look to make it better mm. so they want nurses' yeah. experience? Um, I would say in that in that regard, if you're going into that private industry, um, just your experience matters.
0: Yeah, that would be a really hard, you know, I mean, because if it's private, it's not part of a hospital system, then you lose that, you know, you're obviously... I mean, maybe you can be a nurse at the same time, but it doesn't, you know, it's, I feel like that's not super plausible. And so it's probably hard for those private industry, you know, to get real, real time, you know, finger on the pulse, like knowledge of what's going on and what the nurses need. Because once you're out of the bedside and you're being an uh, informaticist, it's hard to, yeah, hard to go back. Yeah,
1: Yeah. I would say that would be one of the challenges. I mean, there's pros and cons to both. Um, And it's just about trying to figure out what you're, you know, what it is that you're, you're trying to accomplish in your career professionally.
0: Yeah, right. Absolutely. Well, this was super informative. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. I love,
1: I love my job.
0: (laughs) I love informatics. I
1: love talking about it and. I love mentoring new nurses, and anytime I can expand the knowledge of what it means to be an informaticist and get organizations to really appreciate what we can do to make, the, make it better for our bedside nurses, how do we make it better? Uh, again, yeah. how do we improve that relationship between nurses and the technology that they use?
0: Yeah, you truly an unsung hero that's trimming the fat in our organizations we all very much appreciate somebody on the inside <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes again we, we need nurses in all different realms and it, this just happens to be my passion
0: that brings us to the end of the show thanks for tuning in to nursing uncharted to learn more about today's episode make sure to explore the show notes at americanmobile.com nursinguncharted uncharted and don't forget to subscribe so you never miss a guest if you're a nurse interested in traveling, visit AmericanMobile.com to explore the largest database of travel nursing jobs in the industry and the amazing benefits that American Mobile has to offer. Also, a special thanks to producer Jonathan Carey, assistant producers Katie Schrauben and Sam McKay, and Aiden Dykes for the music and editing. Until next time, take care of yourself.